Growing Up Baby with Haley Zimak. Ah, sleep. You may not have realized just how precious it is until you're not getting it anymore. What once came so naturally may now be elusive and lacking, especially if you have a baby that just won't go and stay down for the night. Bridget Jensen is a sleep specialist at Better Bedtime. Bridget, thanks for joining us. As I understand it, one of your primary functions is to aid parents in sleep training babies and young children. How does this work? So we basically take a deep dive into someone's sleeping, sleep hygiene, we call it. So what they do before bed, what their bedroom space is like, and their behaviors around their sleep. And we do that from for parents who are expecting and kind of paving the way for their new addition, uh, or most of our clients are parents of babies, toddlers, and preschool age children. Let's use myself as an example. You know, I have a, you know, a four-ish month old. I just went into my pediatrician recently. They said, okay, you can start sleep training now. And I thought, oh, great. What would you tell me if I came to you and said, hey, I need help with this whole sleep transition thing? Yeah, that's a perfect example, Haley. And really, most of our people do call around the four-month mark or nine-month mark. The reason that is, is there's a big uh, developmental leap that happens at certain key points throughout development, which can cause what some people call a sleep regression. Um, And that's really a deceiving term because it's really a great sign for their overall health and development. But you're right, it can lead someone to a point where they're feeling like they need sleep help. And unfortunately, and admittedly, many of our pediatricians, they don't have a whole lot there to offer because, of course, they're there for maybe the more you know, overall health and the more serious things that we, we count on them for. What feels comfortable for you as a mom of your baby might be much different than what someone else feels comfortable with with their own child. So my best advice to anyone thinking about, are we thinking about sleep training? Do we need to do something? is to really take the time to look through uh, what's available and what resonates with you. So anyone who books a call with us or reaches out to us, we don't always assume that they're going to end up working with us because they have to really meet certain sort of criteria, I guess you could say, like an intake almost. Um, For example, we insist on following public health sleeping arrangements where babies on a separate surface. So for a parent who really wants to co-sleep and keep their baby in bed, they probably wouldn't be find us a good fit. But the good news is there's an association of professional sleep consultants that really rely on each other and refer to each other so that we can make sure a family is getting the match that they need. So when talking about various sleep methods, let's talk about one that's known to divide opinion, the cry it out method. It's controversial, to say the least. Very controversial. There's the discussion about, do we let a baby cry? Because that's, you know, that doesn't feel so great. And that depends on the circumstances. There's no real clear answer here. But for someone like you, when you're saying, what should I do if my baby, my four-month-old is waking, you know, once a night for a feed, to me, that's developmentally normal. So what we ask during this intake is, and we try to encourage, even when we're speaking at different centers, to say, don't be so hard on yourself. Because if, you're, if your baby is, you know, eating once or twice a night, depending on their age, that's probably, you know, pretty good, actually. What we're more looking at are people who are finding severe anxiety as bedtime arrives getting their kid to bed is a tremendous fight every single night and broken sleep and the list goes on so that's when it's a good time to intervene and look at some of these some of these options so um, I wouldn't say to you someone like you just right out the gate let your baby cry there's way more to it than that and it is 
crying is the ticket. That's it. That's the thing you see on every sleep website or every, you know, mommy group. They will eat you alive if you say you're going to, you know, let your baby cry it out. It is a hot topic. But there are things you can do around your sleep hygiene and how you treat your little one's uh, night wakings that can really reduce the crying that goes on. Our pediatrician recommended letting him cry it out. So we did give it a try for a night or two, but I don't think it's for us at this point. What time is it? Do you think he'll go back to sleep? Um, Probably not. Probably not was the correct answer. Bridget, I have to ask, how do we minimize crying and waking up at night? And before I go into that, I just want to add that crying, you know, is part of babyhood. It's a part of being a human. Think of, you know, any of us here. Uh, We might cry on different occasions. And there's a difference between, you know, leaving your baby, neglecting your baby, and just, uh, you know, tending to a different need or, you know, thinking about this. I'll give this example. Imagine your, your baby is starting to walk and you're outside and your baby starts walking to the road and you stop your baby who's on the move and they're really frustrated with you and mad because they were trying to get to the street Um, but you know that that's actually not safe for them so you stop them and the same is true if they head to a cupboard that has maybe windex in it and you don't want them to get the windex and they're furious and they're fighting you with all their might but we absolutely know that that is not okay for them to play with and so we like to shine a similar light on sleep and say For a child, for a baby in this case, who's used to falling asleep with, uh, let's say, help from their parent, whether it's rocking, they're feeding to sleep, whatever the case may be, which honestly is normal. There's nothing wrong with that unless you're you're having difficulty with, with their sleep. And by that, I mean... If your baby's waking up, you know, constantly and needing all that effort from you to put them back to sleep every time they come to the surface of a sleep cycle, that's broken sleep for long periods. That's not good for anybody. The most healthy, restorative sleep is consolidated stretches of sleep. So we don't need that broken sleep, you know, beyond the newbornhood, which you're just coming out of yourself. Um, so with keeping that in mind, crying is a part of the human experience. Fine. So the next piece is when we think about what's age appropriate to do something like this. And so babies under six months, they don't have that object permanence developed yet. They don't know that you're still there if you're not in sight so much, right? So we would really avoid ha- having parents leave for long periods. You wouldn't ignore them all night or anything. You might step away for a few moments, you know, to kind of gather yourself or just give them a little bit of space but you would insert yourself back into that room to make sure that they are you know encouraged by your presence and just reassured okay so what are the three most important pieces that contribute to crying the timing of sleep often parents are really missing that sweet spot so we really encourage them to look for things like staring off into space red across the brow uh, glazed over eyes one of our clients a few years back called it honey dip eyes i love that term so just watching for these early cues um, and not waiting any longer like it could be anytime after 6 p.m you're seeing these early tire cues of course yawning grabbing at their ears pushing their forehead into things if you see those it's it's a great idea to start getting ready for bed And so the timing is a big deal. And so uh, not only that, but the routine itself. So the next part is how do you prepare your baby for sleep? So a routine and many people without even knowing it are doing a routine. It could be as simple as fresh bum, full tum, maybe a little story or a song, you know, whatever works for your family. Um, And and during that routine, it's an opportunity because if we can we can count on their needs are being met through that routine, right? We're looking at 
they're cleaned up, they have what they need, etc. But what we see in our work is if a baby is falling asleep throughout that routine itself, so rocked to drowsy or they're fed till they're falling asleep, and then their parent puts them down and maybe they still look awake or their eyes are half open, what happens then is that that little moment of drowsy or that moment of sleep really re-energize them. So by the time they hit the crib, they're now re-energized and are going to cry that much longer. And so again, I just want to make sure this is clear. There's nothing wrong with putting your baby into a state of sleep if everyone's sleeping well. That's how it's been for many years. Many people do beautifully with that. But we're hearing from the people who that does not work for any longer. They're not able to do that. So when that's the case, then we would recommend not only watching for the sweet spot with the timing, but actually keeping your baby fully awake through the routine. Tickling them, bothering them, hey, snap your fingers, stay awake, really kind of um, annoying them to stay awake so that they'll take a good feed. That's a great priority, of course, to get those calories in. But also, we don't want to give them any opportunity for sleep that could re-energize them and make them, you know, fight their sleep even more. But the cherry on top is that if we're looking at truly teaching them to fall asleep on their own, and we expect that from them upon a night waking, then we must start that tone in the evening when they're awake and aware of their space. So just to summarize that part, I don't think it's fair to feed a baby to sleep in the evening and then let them cry it out later in the night. It's just confusing. Got it. Let's say you've done all that. Parents have done everything. What comes next? When you've done all that, you've got the sweet spot of timing, you've kept them awake, you've laid them down, aware of their space, what comes next is equally as important. And we recommend staying either right in the room or you leave and come in every few minutes, depending on baby's age. But we don't want to add any fuel to that fire. We don't want to be touching them constantly. We don't want to be panicked ourselves. We want low light, like dark as possible, ultimately, um, and really calm. And you're just there to offer your presence, your reassurance, you're not there to put the baby to a state of sleep. And then if they're waking up in the middle of the night, are they waking up because they're hungry, they're scared? Because I do think, you know, imagine if you were this little tiny person, you have no idea about the world around you. Um, Perhaps you've been fed to sleep, which I am guilty of doing just because it's been working. And then you wake up in this cold, dark crib. It must be really frightening for them. That's a great question. And you don't say I would I wouldn't be too hard on yourself and say I'm guilty of doing this. You're mummy you're being a mummy to your baby. That's the best thing. You you're the best mummy to him. And so, you know, trust your instincts there. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um but when we think about that eve those evening factors I just mentioned directly tie into the night because this is a two-sided coin here. One is we want to do what we can to prevent night wakings. And then we also want to uh, address those night week wakings in a way that we're, yes, responding to a genuine need, but not encouraging them more than they need to be. And in, in my opinion, feeding a baby in the night, like definitely that's a genuine need. So why do they wake? So an overtired child will have a harder time settling and also have more restless sleep. That's true for adults as well. So that timing really impacts not only the evening, but the night wakings anything can cause a baby to wake in the night simply cycling through a sleep cycle and they're at a lighter part and come up it could be they heard something they could be hungry gassy maybe you're breastfeeding and you ate something that set baby off it it could be any number of things so my thing is when in doubt check them out you go over you know what you know you might offer a feeding um if you think that needs to happen or, or a fresh bum something along those lines but especially for those babies who are over 14 15 weeks and that would be the camp that you're in now um i would think about if I'm feeding my baby, you know, every 90 minutes to two hours all night long at that age, we're probably missing something there. Like we should be able to get down to two, if not one 
feeding. Some even go all night. And then you mentioned the, and I don't even want to say it yet, but because I have been so warned about it, but the sleep regression. So what is that all about? Because early in the conversation, you mentioned four months and nine months. Yeah, you, I, I, I don't want to worry you. Oh my gosh. And it may never, you may never feel it. It's usually more the third into the fourth month that it happens. And the nine month one can be eight to 10 months. And here's what it looks like. Babies who have slept in a certain way, up until they hit that milestone, their sleep can change. And that could be for better or for worse. So some will hit a stride going into the fourth month and all of a sudden they're getting more sleep. Whereas others, and of course, these are the only people we're hearing from, things are not going great. They're once, you know, easy to go down on the brass baby is now up half the night because they're they're con- they're using mama as a pacifier, right? Or using the bottle as a pacifier. Um, and so for a sleep regression, I like to look at it like this way. It's normal, it's healthy. If it's going on for seven to 10 days of things being all cattywampus, as my husband would say, all, all over the place, then uh, you wouldn't really do a whole lot because that's just developmentally normal and you do want to offer them those extra calories and that extra grace around this period. Um, but if it's then longer, right, it's now been a couple weeks, three weeks, six weeks, and there's a definitely what we'd call a sleep association there when they're really like relying on that external help to drift into sleep around the clock, that's when it's time to take some action. Okay. One of the things I do, I just kind of let him nap and sleep um, wherever and it seems to be working okay. (laughs) Is that okay? Absolutely. Whatever works for you is what matters most. And going baby led, we love a baby led schedule always. So we don't, we have a kind of general ballpark we look for, but ultimately following his cues and offering him sleep when he needs it and being flexible on it is no problem. It's not a problem until it's a problem. You'll know, right? You'll be like, oh gosh, you know, he's really resisting, you know, sleep or things will just shift. And if that happens for more than a week or two, then, you know, you start looking into it. But it sounds like you've got a pretty good setup, I'd say. I do appreciate you saying that, that it's not a problem until it's a problem. So if it's working for you in whatever way, then take the win. Um, Any last words of advice though, for parents still searching for those sweet dreams? Yeah, definitely. My best advice is to make sure wherever your baby sleeps, that it's a safe space uh, and that you never have, because your sleep already, you know, is maybe broken enough. So for you to be able to rest peacefully without having to worry about your babies, you know, not being safe where they're sleeping is not what we're looking for. So a safe sleep space, and then just to be easy on yourself and try not to let even people like us. And I think about earlier with our Better Bedtime crew and my, you know, first year in business, I thought, anyone who's tired needs sleep training. Not the case at all. In fact, you really have to be at a certain point with your little one's sleep to even think about needing this type of help. So I just want um, parents listening to to know that as long as you're feeling okay about sleep, that's what matters most. But if you do need help, there's lots of options out there that will suit uh, what you're looking for. For Sarah and her husband in Waterloo, they knew they needed help. They learned a valuable lesson with their first child, now three years old, and are expecting their second very soon. Our first baby was pretty much hitting all the major milestones for sleep when he was supposed to. Our issues came when we tried to get on more of a schedule for our daytime naps. I knew you were supposed to put baby down, awake but sleepy, but I found I was nursing him to sleep instead, and when I would try to put him down, he would start to scream. It turned into a vicious cycle of me nursing, bouncing, rocking, doing whatever I could on, for hours on end to try and get my baby down for a nap. I felt trapped, I felt frustrated, and I felt guilty. My baby wasn't getting the sleep he needed, and I wasn't getting the break I needed. I had heard of the cry it out method, but I didn't know how to properly do it. 
How did it work? Do we just let him cry and cry and cry? Would it negatively affect him somehow? Would I even be able to listen to him cry? There were too many questions and I didn't want to take a chance. We finally turned to a sleep consultant. They essentially put us on a schedule and gave us different sleep training options and how to do them. We did choose the cry it out method in the end, as she said it would get us the fastest results. It was hard to hear him cry, but we had a professional behind us telling us it would be okay. Every night and every nap, the crying would get shorter and shorter in duration until we could pretty much put him down without a fuss. I can say that sleep training was probably one of the best things we did for our baby, but also for our own sanity. With our next baby, we'll be sleep training as soon as we can, and we may even get a consultant again. Picture this, it's the dead of night and you've been woken up for yet another feed. You're exhausted and can barely keep your eyes open. You tuck baby beneath bottle or breast while in bed and drift back to sleep. According to a joint statement on safe infant sleep by the Canadian Pediatric Society and Health Canada, one third of Canadian mothers report bed sharing regularly, while a third say they do so occasionally. And the majority of Canadian parents say they're going to do so at some point. Dr. Cam is the Associate Professor and Director of Research in the Department of Pediatrics Division of Emergency Medicine at McMaster University. She contributed to the joint statement on safe infant sleep. Dr. Cam, thanks so much for talking today. Are you alarmed or surprised by the high number of parents who have reported co-sleeping with their baby, regardless of advice or best intentions? I mean, yes, as a, a pediatric emergency medicine physician and also as someone, you know, who, who specializes in public health, it is concerning and it's also interesting. Um, and I think with everything related to uh, real life with regards to uh, people, parents and their children, um, there are lots of things that, that come into play, right? And uh, it's, no, it's not usually um, black and white. So can you talk a little bit then about the the gray area? You know, people are, parents are, t- are, are tired, raising a baby is hard. There's also in um, this day and age, a lot of um, information that comes at you from very, from a lot of different sources, right? So sure, we have a joint statement on safe sleep by the Public Health Agency of Canada. But, you know, there are parent groups, there are mom groups, uh, there are there are just so many different everyone has an opinions and when you're faced with um, being sleep deprived tired um, you know um, wanting the best uh, for your child I think it's it's hard to necessarily sort everything out mm-hmm. okay but we know the research doesn't lie so can you tell us why let's say something like room sharing is advisable yet bed sharing is not Room sharing um, is advisable um, for a couple reasons um, because uh, it, it makes breastfeeding easier. And we know that breastfeeding is, is one, um, one thing that, can, that is actually protective against um, uh, sudden infant deaths. And also uh, sharing a room with your child, uh, they then sort of are able to wake up easily and you, you yourself as well can wake up easily um, should there be noises or what have you. Um, this is very different than bed sharing because bed sharing, on the other hand, is associated with a higher risk of uh, sudden infant death. And that, that, like you said, there's a lot of evidence to, to show that because there, it increases risk of suffocation and overheating, especially in the first six months of life for babies. Okay. So when we talk about the safest sleeping arrangement for a baby, best case scenario, what is it? 
Um, yeah, so the best case scenario would be for a baby to sleep in a crib um, or a cradle, free of any bedding or pillows or anything like that, on a firm mattress uh, in, in their own crib um, and in the parent's room for the first six months. What's your thoughts on, and I don't use them, but I've seen them advertised, bumpers, or I've also read that soothers um, can help uh, reduce the the risk of SIDS. My son will not take one. But what about sleep aids, I guess, for lack of a better word? Yeah, bumpers or any of those um, would be considered similar to a pillow or loose bedding or blanket or anything like that. And we would say that that's um, not advisable. And soothers, on the other hand, actually, there is a recommendation that, uh, you know, if you can, that it is safe for babies um, to use soothers. And what does that do? How does that help prevent SIDS? Sort of the same idea as um, uh, room sharing. It stirs the baby up um, every so often. Um, it just sort of jolts them a little bit up and then kind of reminds them to breathe, so to speak. Um, oh. Yeah. So I think that is sort of the theory behind it. Mm, okay. So back to bed sharing, because I, I do. I, I know firsthand how easy it is to bring your baby in for a feed or to soothe and then just fall asleep. So whether it's accidental or intentional, uh, what can parents do to mitigate risk? What would you suggest? I think some of the relatively easier things to do would be, um, you know, make sure that um, there is no tobacco smoke that the child is exposed to, make sure that the adult is not intoxicated, so not drinking alcohol um, or high. Also, again, making sure that your own bed, the, the mattress is firm and that you don't have any blankets, like heavy blankets and pillows and things like that, right? One thing that is uh, like a mainstay is making sure that infants are placed on their backs to sleep for every sleep. So that is um, also uh, very important that babies are, are put on their backs to sleep. Mm-hmm. Okay, because there was a back to sleep campaign some years ago, because I think when I was a baby, my parents were told to put baby on their front, were they not? Yeah, I'm not sure how long ago uh, the campaign started. Maybe I want to say maybe it was in the 80s. Um, but yeah, it, it that made a huge difference in decreasing the number of SIDS deaths, um, the back to sleep campaign. So yes, so that is sort of like uh, safe sleep 101, putting your child or your infant rather on their backs to sleep. Like I said, making sure it's a firm, uh, hard surface, making sure that their crib um, or cradle doesn't have any um, anything that can theoretically suffocate them, making sure that you're breastfeeding if possible, um, and um, avoiding um, smoking. What about swaddles and sleep sacks? Because this really <laughs> confused me. I'm not going to lie. When I did my Amazon registry, I'm like, I... <laughs> I don't get it. It's true. It's true. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so I think it's um, and not clear I, uh, with regards to the swaddling. I think they're saying it's not necessarily helpful. Um, so swaddling does not reduce the risk of, of SIDS. Certainly, if you choose to swaddle, don't put your child on their stomach or on their side. And once your child is able to roll, definitely, definitely don't swaddle. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please download, follow, subscribe, and share. The information, opinions, and recommendations in this podcast are for general informational purposes only. The information is not intended to replace or serve as a substitute for professional advice, consultation, or service. Until next time!